We all have a story to tell, do we not? Some of us it's a short version, some of us the long version, and uh, there's hills and valleys in between. Uh, some parts of our lives we could uh, consider probably PG, maybe some of them PG 13 or 17, and maybe sometimes, in some cases, even worse. But we're going to be looking at a story today of a woman who has got probably one of the worst stories around that you would think of. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with her. And I want to just set the record straight this morning. Is that there is not one sin that is greater than another sin. The only greatest sin is to reject Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. So uh, we're going to be talking this morning about the grace of God. The law of God, but also how it affects a lady's story and prayerfully how it affects your story as well. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for how we have already worshipped today. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would move me out of the way and that, Lord, your word would speak and do the proclamation this morning, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the saying that those who live in glass houses should not throw stones? That's a pretty familiar saying. What does that mean? That means that uh, it's like the old saying that uh, don't go sweeping somebody else's porch until you swept your own. Don't go dipping in the Kool-Aid unless you know the flavor. All these kind of different sayings. But uh, the, the basic thing is, is that you don't need to judge others when you've got issues in your own life, kind of like the old, uh, why judge the speck in somebody else's eye when you have a log in yours? A uh, pretty popular passage that even Jesus said. So he knows something about passing judgment, being judged, and people judging in the wrong way. But, but that's right. Those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And my friends, we are not sinless. We are sinful. We are not perfect. And we all have cracks in our glass. And we live in a world that is so quick to throw stones, so quick to find fault in others so that they can justify their elevated opinions of themselves. And it gives them what they think is a legitimate reason to judge other people. In today's culture, we we do live in a, a relativistic culture to where People believe you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and we'll all be okay. But if your belief overrides my belief, then I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to knock you down. And and what we see on the news today, and all of the the different civil unrest, the people protesting, I'm, I'm grateful that we live in a nation where people have the freedom to do that, but there are so many people that are protesting over things that they don't really fully understand. And the thing is, is that the church has largely been silent during this. But we can find this type of, of judgment. We can find it in our schools. We can find it in our neighborhoods. We can find it in our government. We can find it in our families. And we can also find it in God's church. But in this passage, we see that the Jewish leaders had lost all restraint on their perspective. They took pride in pleasing God in their religious actions. They, they, were, they were so steeped in their tradition of keeping their laws, yet they were the same ones that were trying to kill Jesus. 
It's kind of like, you know, the old don't do as I say, do as, or wait a minute, don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, there, there were so many of these religious leaders that were thinking that they were so pious and so spiritual, but yet they had the root of evil in their lives. And they were trying to kill Jesus. But uh, the Jewish religious leaders, uh, they thought that this would be an opportunity to spring a trap. They thought that maybe that they could make Jesus look ignorant. Maybe they could get him caught up in his words. Sounds like a good old political convention, doesn't it? Well, Jesus uses this trap that we are about to study. He uses this trap against the ones who designed it. Jesus does not dignify their question even with an answer. But yet he answers their question and also the need of a sinful person. He is, he is teaching and hopefully trying to correct the Jewish leaders. But also, unfortunately, there's an adulterous woman who's caught in the middle of this. For years as a believer, I would read this passage and I would focus only on the adulterous woman. But folks, if, you, if, if that is your only focus in this passage, then you are looking at this in a one-dimensional view. It's almost like one of your eyes is covered as we unpack this. The first thing that we see in the passage is that we live in a world where people seek to justify themselves at the expense of another. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? We live in a world where people seek to justify themselves at the expense of another. And we see that here almost 2,000 years ago. We see this. It says in verses 1 through 3, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Because we picked up last week, he had gone to the temple to preach, even though he had told his family that he wasn't going to go. He went, he was preaching in the temple, and it caused a stir, and the Jewish leaders tried to, to start something with him, but it just kind of dissolved because it wasn't his time yet. So see, not only does he go to the temple the first day, he returns to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. In verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. This was not a woman that had a reputation of being adulterer. This was not a woman that, that somebody said, you know what? Let's talk about this person and we'll bring him forward and try to, to flesh out the facts. She was caught in the act of adultery. In the middle of it, right there. And not only was that bad, it says that they put her in front of the crowd. She was dragged out of that sinful act and brought before the people. Let me ask you something. What would you do if your private sin was made public? Mm. I know I wouldn't like it. Some of you right now are even thinking about that, that thing that has happened in your life or, or that thing that you're ashamed of. And you're saying, if anybody ever found out about this, it would be over. I can't believe what this woman is going through. But my friend, let me tell you this. If you are a Christian, Jesus is looking at you and saying, what sin are you talking about? 
It's been covered. That's the beauty that we're going to see in this passage today. So we see that Jesus was back again teaching in the temple uh, just the night before the Jewish leaders were arguing about whether he was the Messiah or not. I mean, think about it. Everyone had gone home. No one invited Jesus to their house. So Jesus just went home by himself and he got back up and he went the next day right back to teaching. The crowd... They gathered. Anytime Jesus spoke, the crowd would gather. Folks, I guarantee you this. Whether we have five or 500 in here, if we lift up Jesus Christ and the teaching he of Jesus Christ, he will always draw a crowd. And we see here that the crowd was still searching for answers. And isn't it crazy how interruptions occur At the most inopportune times. Interruptions occur at the most inopportune times. How arrogant and prideful and disrespectful was it for these Pharisees, these religious leaders, to bring this woman that was caught in the act before Jesus into the temple. They brought an adulterous woman into the temple that they claimed to worship God in and threw her at Jesus' feet and said, "Uh uh-huh, we got you on this one. They had totally lost perspective of their own laws. How insensitive is that? They tried... They were trying to, to use that opportunity to trap Jesus. Well, the adulterous woman was only a pawn to the religious leaders. You see that, right? The religious leaders, they didn't care about the woman. She was just a part of the plan. She was collateral damage. We see that the likelihood... That they would randomly find an adulterous woman. Oh, by the way, in a man. Because it takes two to tango. An adulterous woman and a man were caught in the act by random chance. The fact that it was a random chance is highly unlikely. Do not be mistaken. It was staged. It was a trap. And the man was probably one of their own. They were forsaking all of their laws and all of their, their, their pious beliefs for the hypocrisy of setting Jesus up. It was a scam. It was a sham. They, they were defeating themselves by going through this. And look, I know that the woman here is a victim. Okay? But folks, you can only play the victim card so much. Some things have happened to you in your life, I'm sure, and things have happened to me to where we have been taken advantage of. And I understand that, and I'm not making light of that. But, folks, we can choose to be the victim or the victor. And the reason this woman is in this position is because that we understand this fact. If you go back and look at the second half of verse 3, they put her in front of the crowd. Or, as the Homer Christian says, making her stand in the center of the crowd. Folks, her sin made her vulnerable to their plan. You get that, right? Her sin, her choice, put her in the situation to be used by evil people. Yes, she was a victim. 
Yes, she was used. But folks, if we think that we can live in sin and not be taken advantage of by evil people, we are sorely misguided. They put her in front of the crowd. Her clothes, if she was wearing any, were in disarray. Her head was uncovered, which was unthinkable in those days. And her hair was messed up. The woman was a victim in this trap. However, her sinful choices put her in a position to be used by evil people. I was like, I mean, how many people do we have to know in our families and in our friends that we went to school with? That it started out at a party. Then they graduate and now they're strung out on some type of drug. And now their lives are taking a total turn for the worse because they are surrounding themselves with evil people because they are all making evil choices. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do, why do, why do families get wrecked by those that have addiction in their family? Is because when you're making those choices and in that environment, you leave yourself open to be used by those forces. What would take place next, though, in this story is world changing. Not only for the woman, but for you and I as well. The law, the second point, the law declares the adulterous woman as a sinner. The law, when I say the law, I'm primarily talking about the Ten Commandments. And also the, the, the Jewish laws that were found in books like Deuteronomy. Even in Job. Let's read verses 4 through 6. The Pharisees are real proud of themselves at this point. I just want you to puff your chest out a little bit. And kind of, you know, do that old Baptist thing where you look, look down your nose at somebody. That's the kind of attitude they had. They're like, like, ha ha, we got him now. And this is what they say. Oh, oh, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And, oh, by the way, the law of Moses says to stone her. <laughs> what do you say? You ever had that question asked to you where you know no matter how you answer, you're going to lose? What do you say, Jesus? They thought they had him. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, oh, this is awesome. But Jesus stood down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He didn't answer their questions. He didn't even dignify it with his response. He just started writing in the ground. That is such a Jesus thing. In verse 4, the adulterous woman was guilty. And he never doubts that she's guilty. She was guilty of an adultery. And just to give you a little bit of a background, I wanted to read just a couple quick verses. Leviticus 20.20. We're talking about, the, excuse me, Leviticus 20.10. This is the law that was being broke. If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both, it's a key word, both, the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Both. Deuteronomy 22, verses 22-24 says, If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. 
And the way, in this way you will purge Israel of such evil. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married and has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you will purge this evil from, um, from among you. Job 31.11 says, Or lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. Listen to this, folks. I, I just wanted to give you a little background on the actual laws that they were breaking. And the fact that the religious leaders were breaking their own law because where's the man? Where is he? He's supposed to be there with her, is he not? I mean, I mean, maybe I'm just too simple-minded, but the Bible says that they caught them in the act. That means the man was there. Why was he not in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd? Boy, it's not looking good for the woman, is it? Everybody's looking at her, not Jesus. Jesus is looking down at the ground, and he starts to write in the sand. The law is condemning this woman. Y'all like Andy Griffith? Y'all like that show? Who doesn't like Andy Griffith? If you don't like Andy Griffith, you might not be American. No, I'm just kidding. But I do enjoy, I mean, I'm not a, I don't watch it every day, but if it's on, I like to watch it. And of course, my favorite character is Barney. And uh, we have this thing called the, the now men's speech that a couple of friends and I talk about. And it's when Barney is, is, is bowing his chest out and he's got somebody in the slammer there. And he goes, all right, it's important that we keep law and order here at the Rock. And I want to share with you the rules. Number one, obey all rules. And he's second one. Number two. No writing on the walls because it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort for us to clean writing off the walls when people write on the wall. And he's just, he's peacocking and he is, he is showing out and Andy is just like, oh, Barney, please. <laughs> but folks, I want you to understand something. I am not arguing with the fact that the law has said that this woman should be stoned. And now let me bring it in to your world this day. If you have sin in your life, sin says that you must die. The same law that convicted this woman convicts people today. The law says that we are dead in our sins. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just because you haven't been in the same situation that adulterous woman is in, if you have not known Jesus Christ and you're living in rebellion, the law is speaking against you. And you need help. Because the only thing the law can do is condemn. That, I mean, how many of y'all look at your Bible? I mean, we, we read this and it tells us about all the things that we're doing wrong. And then we think, oh, well... I, I'm not going to read all that. That's a bunch of thou shalt nots. That's a bunch of things that I don't want to deal with. Well, we cannot let our culture and our circumstances override God's word. It would have been very simple for Jesus. He could have said, 
well, you know what, guys? I, I know that that was written, but that was written a long time ago. And, and we don't really need to kill this one. Matter of fact, y'all didn't bring the guy. So let's just, let's just let her slide. Or, or maybe what was said in the law before wasn't true. If he would have done any of those things, if he would have backpedaled, if he would have soft-sold it, sold it, if he would have done anything, really, it would have negated the law and the Pharisees would have won. The religious leaders were right. There was no backpedaling. He couldn't take the sting out of the situation. Just like if I were to say, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. A place of eternal torment and fire. Does that sting a little bit? Absolutely. Does it break my heart to say that? Absolutely. But we're going to talk about why it's so important for us to realize that we are sinners. And we'll see that in the woman's life in just a second. If Jesus would have said, yes, the woman needs to be stoned, his followers would have become disheartened and his movement would have died. If Jesus would have said, no, don't stone the woman, he would have been seen as someone without convictions. The very fact that they were not producing a man to be punished proved that this was a trap. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Or as many of you have heard, let ye without sin cast the first stone. Then he stooped down again. And wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. The Bible does not specifically say exactly what Jesus wrote in the sand. But you know what? That's going to be one of those questions I'm going to ask him when I see him. What did you write? But it's always fun to kind of speculate. It was something, wasn't it? It was something strong enough to where they didn't back talk. They didn't say anything. All they did is say, okay, we're gone. He got out of the trap. Do you realize in your entire Bible, in your entire Bible, this is the only recorded incident where Jesus ever wrote anything. So to me, that's pretty important. Jesus stooped down in the middle of the temple on the sand and dirt floor and scribbled out something. What in the world could it have been? Do you remember something called Mount Sinai? Do you remember the Ten Commandments? God etched those Ten Commandments with His finger into the stone. And now here in the New Testament, we have Jesus putting his hands in the earth. Maybe Jesus, when he was writing, he wrote down all the laws that they were breaking. Maybe when he wrote in the sand, he wrote, where's the man? Maybe when he was writing in the sand, he wrote the name of women that these men had had adultery with. We don't know. But it was big enough for them to walk away. 
We don't have to know what he wrote, but the main thing is he got their attention. And let's talk just for a second about verse 7. Rules for passing judgment. Rules for passing judgment. All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stones. I got news for you. The religious leaders, they had no intention of stoning that woman. They just wanted to trap Jesus. She was a pawn in their game. But Jesus gives us the requirements. Anybody in here want to judge others? Do you, want, do you want to judge others? If you do, here's the requirement that Jesus says. You have to be sinless. So if anybody in here is sinless, the Bible gives you permission to judge others. But I got news for you. There's only one sinless person, and that's the guy that said it. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that judges. We should not judge others. The point here is that embracing your own status as a sinful person in need of grace will motivate you to help others rather than hurt them. Embracing your own status. In other words, you're saying, I don't need to judge people because I stand in judgment. We have so many people to think that their way is right. That their belief is right. That their political party is right. That their outlook on life is right. And I understand that we have, we have to have convictions. But folks, it has to be rooted in God's Word. Because if we're going around and judging people for what they wear, for what the color of their skin is, for what their heritage is, for how big their wallet is, for what denomination they are, Or whatever it may be. If we're going around and judging those people, we are in such an error just as this group of religious leaders. If you want to judge others, you'd be sinless. And if not, stop it. Stop it. As good as I I have been or ever hope to be, I will never be sinless. And folks, neither will you. The only one that could have thrown a stone that day was Jesus Christ. And instead of throwing a stone, he extends grace. Folks, I want you to understand something. Religious religious practices, religious traditions, things that are not biblical, but we've grown up in the church to think is biblical. These kind of things, they run at the appearance of grace. Instead of Jesus passing judgment on this woman, he turned the tables and he passed judgment on those who were judging. The religious leaders, they scurried away like the hypocrites that they were because they could not reconcile their belief system with what Jesus was saying. Let me tell you something. If you're good at judging people, If you consider that a a spiritual gift, which it's not. Well, I'm not a judge. I'm just a fruit inspector. You ever heard that one? In other words, I'm going to judge a person by how good of a Christian they act to be like. I know a lot of people that got a lot of fruit, but it's like that plastic stuff my parents used to have on the table. When it comes to judging, if if you're a person who likes to judge others, you will be empty inside. Because you will never be fulfilled by judging others. The last thing we see is that grace 
is greater than the law. Grace is greater than the law. Let's read verses 10 through 11. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, what, what a beautiful picture. I can see it in my mind, and I'm sure that somebody has, has videoed this and, and portrayed this, but you see these crowds of people in the temple, and you see Jesus, all the accusers are scattered, and it's deathly quiet. What is he going to do? He has not looked at the woman yet. And then he's writing in the ground. And he looks up to you. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The adulterous woman was guilty of adultery. She deserved to be stoned according to the law. That is the law of that time. Jesus had not done the work that he came to do. And by all intents and purposes, she should have been stoned. But Jesus does not contradict Moses' law in his response. The purpose of the law was and has always been to show us where we are wrong. These laws point us to what the whole reason we need Jesus. I mean, think about it this way. What if our world didn't have any laws? I've always dreamed about going over, I think it's in Germany where the Autobahn is, and they have highways that, that have no speed limits. Man, how cool would that be? Some of y'all say, well, you haven't gone down my street because I think my street's Autobahn too. The way them crazy people drive around here. But there are laws. There are, if you don't believe there are laws, watch everybody hit the brakes when they're going down the interstate and they see a cop. There are laws. There are things that go on that, that, that we know that we have to respect. But as great as those laws are, God's grace is better. And so we see in this passage that now Jesus is taking the law and he's building a bridge through grace. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, for Jesus to forgive this woman meant that he had to one day die for her sins. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. For Jesus to look at that woman and say, where are your accusers? They don't condemn you, neither do I. The only way he could have said that is because he knew very shortly that he would be hanging on a cross for the sins that he is not holding against her. The law says, kill her, stone her. And Jesus says, I'm going to take the hit for that. The only way he could have said that was to know that the cross was coming. Jesus is placing a cross between the law proclaimed by the religious Jews and the grace that was needed by this woman. So how do you resolve the hatred of the Jewish leaders and the grace that the woman needs? It's a cross. 
It's a cross. Jesus is placing the cross between the law and grace. And folks, don't miss this. Jesus does the same for you today. If you are a sinner and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Lord, the law says that you are to die and go to hell. But Jesus says, I got this. The law condemns you, but accept me and I'll take the hit. I will be the bridge between the law and grace. And listen, I know a majority of you in here at some point have prayed a prayer, walked down an aisle, talked to a preacher, gotten wet, and all these kind of things. I understand that. You've been baptized, but you still sin. And do not be fooled. Don't be so arrogant to think that your sin as a believer, doesn't matter. You ever heard of the term carnal Christian? That's the most miserable person in the world. That's a person that has prayed to receive Christ, but yet they always give over to their physical desires and sin. Now, this woman, you would think that she, she got off scot-free. Jesus did not come to the world to judge the world. Jesus did not come to judge this woman. Jesus did not come to this world to judge you. He came to save you. That is His purpose. I don't know about you, but if I'm on a ship and I fall overboard and there is somebody up top with a life raft getting ready to throw it out to me, I'm going to reach out for that life raft. But so many people today do not want to be told that they are wrong. They do not want to be told that they are sinful. And they're saying, I don't want the raft. I'd rather drown than to take help from you, Jesus. And you know what? They will drown. We cannot take these words back that Jesus says at the end of this, where he says to her, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Folks, a forgiven life will be motivated to live a holy life out of love and appreciation for the glory of God who saved them. She could have easily, after this was over, gone straight back to that position in life that she was in. People do that today. But Jesus' command was, hey, I'm just going to soft sell this, and hey, you're going to be forgiven, and everything's all right. Let's just forget this ever happened. No, he's looking at that woman saying, look, I am going to die on a cross for your sins. So if you appreciate this, if you love this, if you sense that you need this, go and sin no more. Folks, there are people that are sitting in churches just like you and I that prayed a prayer at a Bible school or have been Christian longer than they ever know. Their parents told them they were Christian, so they just accepted that. But yet their lifestyle choices and the sins that they live and the things that they do are stark contrast to what the Bible says. A changed heart leads to a changed Life. So if you are continuing to sin with the sin that he forgave you of, you got a problem.
a heart problem. So no one has ever found salvation by keeping the law. We find that with the woman. And that the law's purpose here is to condemn us to death so that we could be cleansed by God's grace. But here's the thing. And I'll, I'll close with this. In order for there to be true conversion to Christianity, in, in order for someone to truly be a follower of Christ, there must be the conviction of sin. We are so blessed in our vacation Bible school to be able to have kids every year that make decisions for Christ. And the main decision or the main point that we make when counseling children on becoming Christians is, what is sin? Are you a sinner? And do you need to be forgiven? Do you feel that conviction of a sin? And I don't know about you, but I remember my life before Christ. And I remember the hell I was putting myself through. And one day, at a camp, the Holy Spirit tugged in my heart and said, you are totally messed up. But I've come to fix you. The best thing we could do in this world is swallow our pride, depend on Jesus, and leave our sin and seek to live holy lives. That's the problem this day, folks, is that you stick ten Christians and ten non-Christians in a room, and they're all going to act the same way. There's no difference. There's no conviction. And there's no conversion. My prayer for you today is this. Is that you would realize it's not up to you to judge people. God's taking care of that. If you're that religious person that is making themselves feel better by saying, at least I'm not like this other person. That is an empty existence and you have a spiritual problem. Or you might be that adulterous woman that has been caught in the sin that you hope no one would ever find out about. And it might not be adultery. It might be something simple or something great. I don't know. But whatever some preacher or some Christian has told you, Jesus is not condemning you. He is giving you an opportunity to receive grace. And if you don't receive that grace, he will be condemned. But he's giving you a shot. He's giving you a chance. The eyes of Jesus are looking at you and saying, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Because what I'm going to do for you, nobody else can do for you. I am going to die for the sins that you are being convicted of. He did it for the woman, and he did it for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, the Lord. There are people here today that that are hearing this message either by way of this this sanctuary or or maybe even by our, our podcast online, whatever it may be, Lord. And that, dear Heavenly Father, that they would see the Lord being religious, being judgmental, being opinionated on things that are not Scripture, will lead us to being empty. And the Lord, we must accept our sinner status, that we fall short. Because when we accept that and embrace that, 
then we are open to receive the grace from which you give. The only unpardonable sin is to deny you, and I hope that no one commits that sin today. If there is someone that needs to know you, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord, may you move upon their heart. May the Holy Spirit pull them to the point to where they'll say, I do not want to leave this place until I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus, you're my Savior. Maybe someone just needs to come to the altar or rededicate or pray. Maybe join the church. Whatever it may be, Lord, as they stand, may they respond. Pray with me, Lord. And may they accept the grace that you give us, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?